Can we open up our Bibles, please, to Joshua chapter 6? Uh, we're carrying on our journey through the book of Joshua, and now we've come to the place of the Battle of Jericho. Although, to be honest with you, we're not going to be spending that much time in uh, Joshua this morning. Um, this talk is rather grown rather big, so I'm going to split it into two halves. I'm going to do the first half now and then the second half next time. And uh, I believe the Lord has, has led me to go in a slightly different direction than what perhaps the text would automatically think you were to go. So um, let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, which is a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray, Father God, that as we look into these things this morning, that you would shine a light into our hearts, that we would understand what we're reading but Father God, we would take to heart the message that you wish us to apply to our lives. That, Lord, your word would not return void, but bear fruit in our lives. To the glory of your name. Amen. Now, I'm sure that we are all familiar with the Battle of Jericho. We've probably heard talks. We've certainly read the passage any number of times. And so there's a degree of familiarity with what lies ahead. And really, the Battle of Jericho stands as the most important military battle in the conquest of Canaan. It was the doorway into the rest of the land of Canaan. And once defeated, Israel could press into the land. Now, if, if you can imagine the land of Israel, uh, Jericho was right in the midpoint. And once you take Israel, uh, Jericho, you go and um, they went through the middle of the land, effectively dividing it in half. In a, in a battle strategy of divide, divide and conquer. And then they attacked and defeated southern Canaan, and then they went north and defeated northern Canaan. But the key to victory over the entire land of Canaan was the Battle of Jericho. So this is the most important battle in their campaign. And what's most interesting to me, uh, reading this passage is that considering it is the most important battle in the conquest of the land, the battle is really just comprised of two verses within the entire chapter. Let's look at Joshua 6 verses 20 and 21. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. There we have the conquest of Jericho, just two verses. And considering it's the most important battle in, 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 the, in the entire campaign, to be given just two verses is quite incredible. And really, uh, Israel stood victorious at the end of the Battle of Jericho, not due to expert strategy, not due to first class espionage or superior military strength. But they stood victorious because, victorious because Israel were in full submission to God. Their victory was a result of being in full submission to God. And this submission to God has uh, been as has come in stages. We saw that Israel had come to the verge of Jordan at God's direction in submission to God. Israel had crossed the Jordan at God's direction in submission to God. And Israel had circumcised themselves at God's direction in submission to God. What's more, 
we see that Israel, prior to the attack of Jericho, were in a place of complete surrender to the Lord. They were operating in complete faith in the Lord and Israel were about to operate in complete obedience to the Lord when they went to march round the city. And really, this is what God wants of every believer. God wants every believer to live a victorious Christian life. As Israel were victorious by operating in full submission to God, we can be victorious by operating in full submission to God. And really, it's this idea of being in full submission of God to God to ensure victory in our life, in our Christian walk, is, is what I want to focus upon a little bit more this morning before we get into the details of the chapter, which we'll do next time. Now, the story so far, if you like, Israel's deliverance out of the bondage of Egypt is a picture of the believer's deliverance from the bondage of sin. Israel's passing through the Red Sea is a picture of the believers passing through the waters of baptism. And Israel's experiences in the wilderness are a picture of a believer's attempts to please God in their own flesh, a picture of a believer's attempts to serve God in their own strength. And then Israel's passing over the Jordan River is a picture of a believer's reckoning the old man to be dead and leaving the old life behind and no longer walking after the flesh, but starting to live and walk in the spirit. And by the time we get to Israel's progressive conquering of cities and fortresses in the land of Canaan, we see a picture of a believer's progression in victory over the strongholds of life, over the strongholds of the flesh. It's a picture of a believer's progressive victory over the old man, the old nature. And this type of typology and, and, and pictorial symbolism is very common, very well known. And I was listening to uh, the teaching by a, a gentleman called Paul Labute uh, the other day. Uh, Alan knows him. Uh, he's uh, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ontario. That's Ontario in California, not Ontario, Canada. And he introduced me to a term, wilderness Christian. And I'd not heard that term before, and it made me sit up and pay attention. And what he was referring to is that type of Christian that lives in the wilderness, like Israel. And it's a picture of a Christian that is wandering around aimlessly. It's a Christian that is not progressing forward in their walk. A Christian that is still operating very much in their flesh. Whereas you can have a warrior Christian, that type of Christian that is pictured in the group of Israelites that went into the land as warriors and took the land and that type of Christian is the one that is moving forward in their walk with God. They are crucifying the flesh, they are pressing forward into the fullness of all God that has for him and so there were two types of Christian, the wilderness Christian and the warrior Christian. And that theme really resonated in my mind and there was another Paul that talked about these two categories of Christian, but he used a different terminology. Instead of calling them wilderness Christians, he called them carnal Christians. And instead of warrior Christians, he called them spiritual Christians. 
This is the Apostle Paul, of course, and he talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'd like us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, which is really the foundation for what I want to say this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Abby, I wonder whether you'd be kind enough to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 for me, please. Which Abby? That's a good question. Um, how about the new Abby? <laughs> <laughs> but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Okay, fantastic. So in your translation there, it talks um, being of the flesh, whereas in my translation, it says you are being carnal. And that very last verse four says, are you, what did your translation say? Are you not being merely human? Um, are you not being merely human? Yeah. Yes. And again, in my translation, that says the word carnal. So in, in my translation, four times, it describes a Christian as being carnal. And forgive me, that's the term I'm going to use. Uh, but of the flesh is equally good. So four times, Paul uses the term carnal. And this is the state of the young Christian, the babe in Christ. They are fit only for milk. They are only able to digest a weak Christian diet. And despite perhaps being a Christian for many years, a carnal Christian remains a babe. They never move on to maturity. They never become spiritual. And that is one class or one category of believer, the carnal Christian. But then um, in, uh, let me see, uh, verse three, no, verse one, it says, and brethren uh, could not, I could, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people. So there's another class of believer there, spiritual people. And this is the state of the mature Christian, not in years necessarily, but in uh, growth. They are fit and ready for solid food. They are able to digest a diet consisting of the deeper things of the word and God. And those who belong to this category of the spiritual are those who have surrendered their life and are in full submission to God. And they are living under the power and leading and governing authority of the Holy Spirit. Carnal and spiritual. And he, Paul wants to speak to the Corinthian believers about the deep things of God about spiritual matters but he is unable to because they are carnal he says they are of the flesh and thus they were not able to receive it if you are carnal if you're of the flesh you are unable to receive the deep things of God it was a point of grief for Paul because there was so much he wanted to impart to them but they were not yet able to receive it and within the church of Jesus Christ there will always be two types of Christian the carnal or the wilderness believer and the spiritual or the warrior believer. Now, I want to look at four marks of the carnal believer, the believer that is in the flesh, so that we know fully whom we're talking about here. 
Now, the first mark of the carnal believer is that they are a babe in Christ. We read that in verse one. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. And really, we're talking about here a condition of protracted infancy. You know, if you come across a sixth month old who is unable to walk, speak or eat solids, you kind of think, well, that's to be expected. There's no great surprises there. But if you come back three years later and they are still unable to walk and they haven't developed any speech and they're still uh, on milk and they're not eating solids, you would think, well, there's a problem there and that needs to be investigated. And so it is with Christians. You can imagine them in their infancy um, only eating milk and not being able to walk properly. But if you come back a period of time later and still find they're in the same state, then there's something wrong there. And these are believers who have moved in faith toward God. They have an assurance of salvation and they have begun a good work for Christ. Yet something has stunted their growth. And it's not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of growth and maturity in their walk. There is a sense of something wanting. There, there lacks a sense of vibrancy when you talk to them of someone who is pressing on the upward call. Hebrews 5 talks about this, babes in Christ, in verse 12. Hebrews 5.12 For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So it was a common problem. And, you know, a child cannot help themselves. They're always keeping others occupied to serve them. They're a little tyrant needing the attention of the parent, aren't they? <laughs> and uh, a carnal Christian cannot help themselves either. They're always calling upon the pastor or their brothers and sisters in Christ to serve them. They're always needing the attention of others. That's a sign of a, a carnal Christian. And a child can do nothing to help themselves, to, to help others rather. A grown person is to contribute to society uh, in whatever measure they are able, but a child can make no such contribution to society. And in the same way, a carnal Christian can do little to help others. They may participate in church activities, but their contribution is largely physical and not spiritual. They are a babe in Christ. Now, this was the wilderness believers in the days of Moses. They were saved from Egypt. They lacked, but they lacked growth and maturity. They needed to be served every day with manna. They needed the attention of Moses and they murmured and complained all the time like babes do. The second mark of a carnal believer, a believer in the flesh, is that they live with sin and failure on a regular basis. They are ruled by sinful conditions such as envy, strife and divisions, as it says there in uh, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Now, we all wrestle with our sinful nature, with the flesh, uh, but when a person consistently gives way to their temper or when a person zealously pursues an activity to the neglect of all else, it becomes an obsession. Or when a person is given to gossip, division and dissension, they are being ruled by the flesh 
and not the spirit. They are carnal and not spiritual. Besetting sin without, without any hope of victory is not the pattern the Lord laid down for the believer. His plan for the believer is for a progressive victory over the flesh, a gradual submission to the power, leading and authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if that is not your experience, you are carnal. If you're not gaining progressive victory in, in, in your walk with God and coming more into the submission of God, then you are carnal. Now, sin will not be fully dealt with in our life until we are translated with the saints. Uh, so that's not an unrealistic goal we're aiming for. But we should be able to point to individual victories in areas of our lives recently, too. We should be able to look back and see the areas that once ruled us that no longer rule us because we have gained victory and we've moved forward in our walk with God. The indwelling presence of God through the Holy Spirit provides power to resist and conquer sin and leading under his guidance instead of the impulses of the flesh. The carnal life is one of continual sin and failure, but the spiritual life is one of progressive victory. And when it comes to the wilderness believers in the days of Moses, they were marked with sin and failure. If you remember, when Moses came down from the mountain, Israel were caught in idolatry and sin. We had the rebellion of Korah, where Israel revolted against Moses' leadership, and it resulted in the ground swallowing up many Israelites. And of course, Israel failed to move forward into victory and enter the promised land because they listened to the report of the ten spies that spoke in fear instead of the two spies that operated in faith. Another mark, the third mark of a carnal Christian, is they may be gifted, but they are unfruitful. They may be gifted, but they're unfruitful. Now, I'm sure we've all heard of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I'm sure we've all heard of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But there is a distinction between gifts and fruit. The gifts are given, and they are given to equip a person for service. And God chooses to give people gifts according to his own will and pleasure. They do not, they're not given on merit and uh, they're not given because you are super spiritual. God gives you the gifts to equip you for service. But the fruit is a new nature that is manifested by the Holy Spirit in a person. Uh, it is a spiritual nature apart from the flesh. And the fruit really is an evidence of maturity, uh, an evidence of growing in that new nature that comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now the Corinthians, and of course that's the passage that we're in, were equipped with many spiritual gifts. Everybody goes to Corinthians 12 when they want to talk about spiritual gifts, but they were not endowed with spiritual fruit. They had spiritual gifts, but not spiritual fruit. They manifested the works of the flesh, as is evident here in the passage that is before us. And let's be quite clear, fruit is superior to gifts. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 we read, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You may well speak with tongues and have gifts, 
But if you do not have love, which is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you're a clean symbol. Paul considered the fruit far superior to the gifts. And as I said, gifts are freely given by the Holy Spirit, but fruit is manifested as a result of walking in the Spirit and walking in maturity. The spiritual Christian is, is not completely free from the flesh, and the carnal Christian is not completely devoid of the Spirit. But the question is, what is the most dominant power in your life? The flesh or the Spirit? Within Corinth, their fleshly desires and impulses uh, and drives ruled over them. But for us, it should be the Holy Spirit with his power leading an authority that is preeminent in our life. And when we look at the wilderness believers in the days of Moses, were they, they were marked with a lack of fruit. There was no joy. There was no peace. There was no long suffering and patience by the believers in the wilderness. They moaned and whinged their way through the entire 40 years. There were dissensions, there was uncleanness, there were selfish ambitions, there was revelry. They displayed all the hallmarks of a carnal believer, not a spiritual believer. They didn't show fruit, they showed uh, the marks of a fleshly life. And then the fourth mark of a carnal believer is uh, they are unable to receive solid food. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 2 there, I fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now you were not able to receive it and even now you are still not able. A carnal believer may acquire a deep knowledge of the content of the Bible and they might be able to quote chapter and verse. They might be able to hear spiritual teaching, accept it and lord it but it makes no impression on their life and affects no change. When hardship and trial comes, they are unable to see the hand of the Lord in the situation. They are unable to apply the word to the circumstances of their life. The knowledge has remained in their head and not been translated to their heart. And any attempt to live the Christian life, to execute the commands of scripture, are done in the flesh and in their own strength, not in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if you try to obey the commands of God in your own human strength, in your own flesh, in, 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 uh, you will face defeat. But if you, come, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit and, and seek to obey God's word under his anointing, that is the pathway to victory. And I think the crime of the modern church is that the pastor knows his congregation is largely carnal so he reduces his message to milk to satisfy the masses and never seeks to elevate the people to a spiritual level. We as a church should always be striving to go into solid food and get to a level of greater maturity. Of course the result of uh, not being able to receive solid food is that you get weak, ineffective churches with sedentary Christians never moving on in their walk with Christ, never reaching maturity or bearing fruit. An inability to receive solid food does not mark you as stupid or lacking intelligence. Far from it. It simply marks you as carnal. 
You can be a university lecturer. You can be a medical practitioner. You could be a politician. You could be a business leader, yet be carnal. And similarly, you can be a road sweep, a supermarket cashier, a bricklayer, an unemployed, and yet be spiritual. It's a question of whether you're fully submitted to God and operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, when we look at the wilderness believers, the wilderness uh, believers in the days of Moses, they had an inability to receive solid food. They heard the law spoken by God through Moses. They swore to uphold the law, but it never translated from their head to their heart. And when hardship came, they despaired instead of hoping in God. So now, having taken the time to explain what the marks of a wilderness believer, a carnal Christian are, it's important to uh, make two things abundantly clear. The first is, all the while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they experienced sin, failure and defeat, but they did not cease to be the children of God. All the while you are a wilderness Christian, a carnal Christian, you may experience sin, failure and defeat, but that does not stop you being a child of God. Your salvation is secure. The love of the Father toward you is unchanged. As it says in Romans 8 verses 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our salvation is secure and the love from the Father towards us is guaranteed. The second thing I want to make abundantly clear is the Lord does not want you to stay in the wilderness. The Lord wants you to cross the Jordan. The Lord wants you to enter the promised land. The Lord wants you to experience victory over the areas of sin, failure and defeat in your life. And it's interesting to me, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, Now all these things have happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. What Paul is saying is that the events that are recorded in the Old Testament have been preserved as examples for us, the believer, and they serve to be the source of instruction and exhortation to the believer. So from the Old Testament narrative, there is a principle or lesson to be learned and to be applied to the believer's life. And what I want us to do when we go into Joshua 6 proper is to see how we can stop being a carnal believer and start being a spiritual believer and how all that is written in chapter 6 of the Battle of Jericho is a pattern for us, how to move forward into victory, how to move out of that place of being a carnal Christian, of operating in the flesh, and start walking in the spirit, and coming to a place of victory, fullness, and uh, a deeper Christian life, where we're able to eat solid food and not the milk. And so with that as pretty much an introduction, I'm going to wrap it up this morning, and we'll leave uh, Joshua 6 proper for next time. Shall we close with a word of prayer? Lord, I pray that you would take your word and communicate it to your children, that they would make sense and understand what you are saying to them, that, Lord, you would give them a deep assurance of their salvation, 
give them a deep confirmation of the guarantee of your love toward them. But at the same time, Lord, I pray that you show them clearly where they stand before you at this moment in time and the place that you want them to be. And that, Lord, you draw them forward to a place of victory where they cross the Jordan, enter into the promised land and take up the sword of the spirit to fight for a deeper walk with you. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.